Welcome to Philosophy AU, the show where we analyse and explore the modern world through a philosophical lens. My name is Lyndon, I'm studying artificial intelligence and I'm interested in the design of efficient systems for virtuous outcomes. I'm Josh, I'm studying psychology and I'm interested in the generation of progress that alleviates suffering in the world. We believe in the power of knowledge and the role it plays in creating a better world. We hope you enjoy the show. back the boys are back in town welcome back welcome back beautiful listeners thank you for joining us once again happy monday hope you're all doing okay yeah hello everyone i've been a big fan of your happy mondays josh that was a um (laughs) something you took the initiative and lead on and yes just want to commend you on that yeah uh i think makes a bit of sense we'll try and add some positivity into the world on a monday yeah i wonder if most people do listen to it on a monday so, for the record, if you're not um, consciously aware of this, we do try and upload, um, schedule the upload to appear at 5 or 6 a.m. Monday yeah. morning. Last few weeks, we've definitely found some <laughs> audio issues and then tried to do a re-scramble, a re-upload. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, yeah. technical issues. Yeah, Skype has definitely just cut out um, the recording yeah. on us a few times. Hopefully, this one's a little better. But thank yeah, you. thank you for bearing with us. Yeah, I, I've been feeling about it like, uh, you know, more so just um, feeling accomplished that we're still getting them out. You know, not that that that's that that is obviously quite a low barrier of uh, satisfaction, but at the same time, you know, given everything that's going on and uh, being apart and uh, you know going through some busy times in our lives, um, there are times where it's just uh you know putting it out and continuing the survival is like the achievement yeah i would agree i think um sometimes i'm fueled by the idea that say it's consistency that pays off in the long run and you've Mm. just got to keep doing it and the rewards will be in the future Mm. but i think a lot of the time i am kind of just maybe that's the point you were more so speaking to just then is just it's, I think it's cool that we are sort of just like resilient to the turbulence of life and um, yeah, other things like that. And we just make sure we show up, record something. It's not always perfect. Um, it's never perfect, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's <laughs> it's not always, never has been. <laughs> never <laughs> not, will not be. Not once is perfect. Well, no one likes Superman. <laughs> nah, Superman sucks. Doesn't Maybe that can be your bearish, hey. Oh, yeah, I'm bearish on Superman. So expand on that. Oh, okay, yeah. So implicit knowledge. Um, I have this kind of, let's say, long-running joke with um, friend of Philosophy AU, <laughs> James Anthony. He'll be on soon. Of Nitrogenesis Health and Fitness. Yeah, yeah, shout out. Um, absolute wizard in the nutrition realm. So, yeah, check him out. Um, but, yeah, Sedge and I are both sort of superhero comic book um cartoon nerds for lack of a better term and we both despise superman um because personally speaking i think superman is just like the prototypical good guy and it makes him so uninteresting he basically has uh like all good superpowers Hmm. and he has this very tacked on seeming weakness 
um, being kryptonite. And yeah, I just I just don't find him interesting in the slightest. Um, like for example, I think Lex Luthor is a way better character than Superman to mm. that say like Superman's um, arch nemesis. Whereas yeah, Sedge and I typically talk about um, the comparison of say like Batman to Superman. I think Batman's way more interesting because he has humanistic qualities. Mm. He has this dark side that he tries to um, grapple with and there's so much confusion about whether he's actually doing good or um, has crossed that line into evil. Hmm. You know, he's a he's a vigilante. He's trying to fight crime but in an in a way that's unlawful hmm. and that's just murky grey territory. And I think that's that's why it's interesting. Is is there a deeper point as to like the the Superman caricature or archetype, whatever you want to use, that is boring like as a a deeper point of a person being that way? Is that what you're getting at? Or just like purely character wise? It's a boring character or it's like a boring archetype or the archetype doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I think say what I'm getting at is like as an art form. Mm. It is boring. Mm. Mm. I th- I think there's um, there's just so much realistic components, so many realistic components of life portrayed in Batman storylines. Whereas I just think, um, mm. yeah, Superman storylines are extremely uninteresting. Yeah, that's a good point. Eh? It's like why. Yeah, I mean, I'm not super familiar with it, but like, well, where is even the narrative if there is no potential for failure? Well, and that's what I think I find frustrating about, um, say, like, so, and and there's tons of different um, derivations of Superman and Batman and mm. and different versions of them. So I'm I'm sort of speaking very generally here, but typically in a Superman dialogue like Lex Luthor will say things that resonate with me. Hmm. Like he'll be, he'll have taken it a step too far, but he'll be like, you know, this is say humanity skewed way too far in this direction. And therefore we should do this. Hmm. Like, um, and you know, Bat, uh, sorry, Superman might be of the opinion that the, the ends don't justify the means. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I just find, Superman often resorting to those very cliche, sound good, applause light kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Um, But yeah, yeah, possibly sort of to relate it to to use a story within a story. uh, We're obviously big Seinfeld fans. Huge. And Jerry loves Mm. Superman. Does it? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that that comes up a few times. Maybe he doesn't love Superman, Mm. but I I think he does. Um, and the way that sort of Jerry's character is portrayed, he does like those childish, cartoonish, escapist mm. kind of things. So mm. I can definitely see like Superman has attraction in that realm. Like I definitely engage in art and media forms that aren't um, really accurate portrayals of the human condition. Yeah. But I think when I am sort of wanting to engage in something like that batman always just grabs me so much more yeah 
um, I think we've had this conversation a couple of times, but like, how much do you think that the fiction stuff or the art, uh, like, what do you think the relationship is with it, like portraying reality? Because, you know, Peterson has that line of like, um, you know, fictional characters like more true than non-fictional characters because they're like this really condensed amalgamation of character traits that everyone has all in this one person. And so it's like bringing all these truths together and he obviously uses the word truth in such a, a flexible way to put it that way. Um, but it's like bringing all these different truths together to make this like one ultimate truth of a character and it's just highlighting all those different parts. Uh, so what what's sort of the, the pointy end of that question exactly? Um, like do you, do you feel like art needs to be like that or say maybe like fiction needs to be that way that it uh, is representative of some sort of reality? Like good good sci-fi uh is it good because it speaks to what could come of reality or is it the opposite okay yeah i'm I'm getting you um so in my perspective it doesn't need to represent reality but it needs to connect with something significant say within reality um and what i mean by that is take some of the really famous um, sci-fi sort of storylines and the the futures that they might predict or sort of the, you know, the directions that human civilization follows probably is not realistic in any sense, Mm. but the ambitions of the individuals, say, Mm. trying to bring those about is something that resonates strongly with some readers Mm -hmm. so i think even though you're portraying an extremely fictionalized universe say Mm -hmm. you still have some very strong grasp of real humans and things they feel yeah and that you can then create characters that they resonate strongly with or despise or Mm. and i think that that's the sort of the truth element of some fiction. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I was just curious, um, just like how much that uh, relationship lines up. Or like at what point does fiction just become too otherworldly that it becomes, or is it a matter of interest, um, that it becomes uninteresting or, um, you know, just uh, redundant in a sense because it's, and maybe that's just my own biases speaking because I tend to gravitate towards non-fictional stuff. Yeah, I do. I definitely do predict you'll um, you'll become bullish on fiction and yeah, I'm getting bearish that. from your bearish on non-fiction in in a updating sense from where you are. Yeah, yeah. like I don't think you'll ever say never not value non-fiction. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think maybe something, something else that's interesting that maybe relates to what you're talking about, um, with Peterson and how there's more truth in fiction. I think Peterson takes that from the, 
the archetype personality kind of perspective. Mm. Um, you know, he'll often speak of really classic works of Dostoevsky or Hemingway or, mm. or someone like that and, and talk about this character in particular represents something that, you know, was otherwise represented in the Bible here and um, things like that. But what I think is very compelling about fiction is that it speaks to us on the level of first-person experience, mm. whereas uh, non-fiction is inherently um, objective and third-person. Mm. It's, it's shared knowledge um, that's, say, been validated validated by yeah the third person science hmm. it's an abstraction yeah and um i think reading fiction as i said it, it really it's something that we can very much understand on that first person perspective it doesn't require decoupling and we've either say you're reading about some characters you either understand i think the character's as similar to people you've encountered in your life mm. or people within you at mm. various times. Mm. Yeah, that one. And I think both of those are, are much easier to relate to just given we know how much of the human brain was organised around socialisation mm. and understanding social forces. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I like it. Um, like I've said to you, I've been into crime and punishment lately and um the yeah the interesting part about that narrative is the protagonist the guy um and oh spoiler it's a couple hundred years old so <laughs> no spoilers there it's not a hot new hot new <laughs> book on the shelf but um the guy who does the kill uh it, it, it's very interesting how just like how it'll shift through all his sort of different mindsets and his his different, say like his many different personalities and, and it'll shift through those so quickly and you sort of so clearly see that happen. Um, and I guess like that that is what is resonating with myself re reading the book is those individual people within my one person um, and just like s how quickly that shift occurs, but also how, I guess, distinct it feels. So when you're in one of your persons or one of your people of yourself. One so, of your personas? Yeah, that's a much better way to put it. If When you're in one of these personas that you carry, one of many, you feel that that is like your whole being and you feel that, is exclusively you um and you know you sort of do have this awareness that things change and you might shift into other personas but in the moment it feels very much like this is who i am and then again it is it's just very destabilizing or quite strange because you do a 180 to the complete opposite persona that you that you carry um and yeah it's just been a it's interesting how the book sort of explores that um, quite explicitly, those different personas in, in the one person, yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Um, this is something that 
fascinates me. You know, I've, I've spoken um, or referenced wanting to speak about this in the past about how just our mo- time is this massively powerful force in our minds like to i just think a degree that we don't even comprehend and i'll come back to that but this time is one of the factors that i guess creates those multiple personalities mm. in a sense yeah. or multiple personas and we might think as a quote-unquote healthy, normal individual, we don't have multiple personas Hmm. um, in the clinical pathological sense. But we very much do. And I think, yeah, you're you're shedding some insight onto that. Um, Relating to time, this is uh, one of the reasons we tend to see this, I guess, is explained by hyperbolic discounting in Hmm. psychology and economics. Hmm. It's just this, basically, we value rewards in this way that's heavily um, heavily weighted around the current moment in time. Mm. They don't drop off in a linear manner. So, it's like, if I had to wait one week for $100 or mm. two weeks for $200 we would weight the value of that $100 massively higher than the $200. And that's, say, just putting a very, um, you know, rudimentary money value on it. But this is kind of um, the same explanatory reason why for 90% of the day we think we want to diet and then as soon as we see the cupcake in front of us, Mm. the diet breaks Hmm. And we have that sense of, I didn't want to do that and I still did it. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, I just think time is super interesting in that way, that the way we discount future events. Another way is I think um, I was speaking with someone earlier this week about um, grief and they said they just basically got to the five-year mark of a a pretty serious loss. Hmm. And they were saying how it's just... um, it's so much more manageable for them now. Yeah. And we were just speaking about how like as over time, this sort of really painful emotional experience just gets layered and layered in more, more instances of time that has passed and it becomes insulated from the rest of your psychology to a degree. Hmm. So time sort of, you know, quote unquote heals all wounds. Hmm. And the final example I'll give is, Um, relating to our previous discussions on gratitude and mindfulness, the the chaos that we experience as sort of our our general normal waking state seems to occur very very heavily because of our um, sort of continual existence either in the future or in the past. Mm. And again, that's just, I, I think, another example of where this poor grasping of time from that first person subjective perspective really just messes with us. Yeah. I was thinking about that this week with the delayed gratification. And uh, so, you know, like a lot of wisdoms tend to be arrived at through just inversing a common dogma. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, definitely. 
And so, or maybe not a, okay, we'll leave that aside. Uh, one example I was thinking of was as young people, it's all about instant gratification. As old people, it's all about delayed gratification. But I feel like there'll be immense value if that was just flipped. So, as you're older, like it would make a lot of sense to seek as much instant gratification as possible. Like, take drugs, <laughs> um, you know, take up smoking if that's what you want to do. Um, because obviously your, your time is limited. Uh, but as a young person, I- I'm not sure if this is true. Because, and what I'm thinking is, there, there is probably a lot of growth that needs to occur through experiencing instant gratification. And if you're just constantly optimizing for the delayed gratification, maybe you sort of almost never get there because you've got to go through like the growth of experience. And I'm thinking more so like teens in this instance teens up to like mid-twenties um but yeah as a young person it would make a lot of sense for that sort of say cognitive framework or cognitive instinct to be flipped to be really valuing delayed gratification and being bearish on our instant gratification what do you think of that um yeah i i think there's some truth to what you're saying. Um, yeah, I just I just don't think it's maybe say realistic or actually the ideal. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think you can only really arrive at that conclusion sort of by being able to move to various points of someone's life and then assess say when it would end, but. As say, as a young person going through life for the first time, it's not established that you're actually going to live for a long time. It's sort of it's presumed that you will, mm. but that's that's very much an extrapolation from that point. Whereas, mm-hmm. as an old person, you have the track record of staying alive, right? And right. I think that um, that makes it easier to you know, adopt long-term thinking. Mm, yeah. And there's obviously all the stuff around the, the formation of the prefrontal cortex mm. and, um, you know, young people really just having an inability to, to think in long-term um, ways mm. prior to, say, the age of 25. So, yeah, I, I guess with the prefrontal cortex thing in mind, I'm sort of thinking it's not super realistic mm. and... I also just don't, yeah, don't know if it would be the ideal um, because it would be, yeah, I guess it would be interesting to consider how much the average lifespan would change if you could just impose the flipping of those behaviours and whether that would improve welfare. Yeah. Say... As a young person, if you just started undertaking a bunch of long-term um, strategies, life might just not seem actually that fun to you. Yeah, yeah. Whereas an older person, I think, has they've they've probably actually seen 
both outcomes. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why we can, um, or why we should probably try to value longer term strategies in general is because we can look at more elderly people and say they've, they've experienced novelty seeking and Mm. very short term thinking as well as had time to experience longer term strategies. Mm. And, in the end, they probably gravitate more towards longer-term strategies, and that suggests that mm. they are the more beneficial of the two, or enjoyable, or valuable. Mm. So the real question is: When you get older, are you going to be bullish on instant gratification? Well, I, I think the point that I was getting to is: Let's say you take an old person who then starts living as if their time is limited. Mm. You're at you are less physically and physiologically robust at that point. Mm. And that might actually just subtract significant years off your life, which then you lose lose out on a ton of welfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think if you're just taking as your framework, yeah, this person's going to live till 80 years old, Mm. ideally they'd... Um, adopt long-term strategies at the start and then gravitate towards, um, you know, it's exploration and then move towards exploitation. Mm. But, you know, the human lifespan is a dynamic system Mm. and as you start changing variables, you start getting different outcomes. Mm. Um, Yeah, but I guess that's just not... Yeah, again, like there's, as you get into that later stage of life, um, say the, the third trimester of life, if we're, if we're talking about a 90-year lifespan, uh, you know, there really isn't much value to be gained from delayed gratification. Like the, the value from instant gratification might outweigh that value that you're potentially getting from the delayed gratification, even if it shortens the lifespan. I mean, it's, it's obviously extremely speculative at this stage, but um, yeah, yeah, that's I, sort of where my thinking I was. I think you have to start adding in additional models, though, at this point. So, for example, like the second mountain concept. Mm-hmm. So, I think what is instantly gratifying for an older individual is adopting long-term strategies that will then continue to provide for their offspring and grandchildren. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because the delayed gratification, like, uh, permeates through generations. Yeah, that's probably at least how I think about it. That makes sense. But, yeah, it'll be interesting for us to be, you know, hopefully we live to the ripe age of 85 or 90 or so and can listen to these podcasts back and and Mm. see how far off the mark we were. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, The thought kind of just came up because... uh, well, this is where it started and then it got a lot deeper because I was watching these videos on Instagram of like old people having a sniff and like doing shots and stuff like that. (laughs) Just pretty funny. Just a very comical image to see an old lady doing a bump of whatever it may be. (laughs) Yeah, like this is is definitely, I haven't seen that. Um, But I remember just for some reason i remember going for a run one day and just ruminating on the thought so much of and i think we've had this conversation but the i think the amount of um 
positive change or say like open-mindedness or I'm not quite sure what the right word is that I'm looking for here. Just like a decreased amount of dismissiveness that you could generate in quote unquote old white man conservative types mm. if you could get them onto the tramp dance floor for like mm. one night. Yeah. Just yeah. if you could just inject that experience into their life mm. at a single point, I think it would do so much good for yeah, their understanding and appreciation of group. the entire sort of yeah, group mindset, but even mm. just their approach to the war on drugs and yeah. pill testing and things like that. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, at this point, it's kind of this dismissiveness of a culture that they don't even understand. Mm. But I think the, the corollary to that, I haven't actually been able to come up with, which is the sort of the old head on young shoulders problem again. Like, how do you yeah. get young people to see what um, those people that I was stereotyping? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and again, like, obviously see your point and the, just the, the devil, the devil's advocate statement in that conversation is just that, you know, we, we need the both sides. And I know you understand this, but like, um, you know, maybe that's not, or maybe like you do want the understanding, but you don't want the conversion. It's like you, like I was sort of talking about with that book by Ian Leslie called Conflicted. The the utility in conflict and in discussion and argumentation uh, really comes from it being emotionally valent and it being driven by emotion. Like this sort of um, steel manning and devil's advocate and thoughtful disagreement is kind of uh it's lip service for an actual argument because you don't have that emotional that emotional valence to the conversation you're not actually invested enough to really sort of fight for the viewpoint um and so that's what i'm getting at with yeah i guess like the old and the young is like perhaps we just need both exactly as they are to create that perfect tension it's like we need these and yeah like obviously we've spoken about this heaps um but like we need the really extreme leftists and the really evangelical people to be uh championing their cause and we need the hyper rationalists to be championing their cause to pull us to a, a uh some sort of happy medium yeah, I know you and I have spoken at length about this. I don't think we've actually spoken about it that much on the podcast, or definitely as a percentage of the amount we've spoken about it. We haven't spoken about it that much on the podcast. Mm. I guess I should. I really should read that book because that argument just doesn't resonate with me. Really? I, I just don't have a strong appreciation for the idea that you know, society moves forward via these overcorrections and by the pulling of the left and the pulling of the right. I, th I think maybe, and this is probably my own just biases towards unification, mm. but like I just want this more, um, yeah, cohesive, harmonious. unified, yeah, harmonious sort of approach. And yeah. I think... 
That's so surprising that it doesn't sway you. It makes so much sense to me, hey? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm thinking back to sort of, um, thinking back to experiences in my own life and I've probably always been referred to as, um, it starts with D, it's not a... Diplomatic. Diplomatic, that's the word. Thank you. Um, I've always been the diplomat within our family of just explaining, you know, Pa's version of events to Nan, Nan's version of events (laughs) to Pa, um, when, you know, the cousins bring new girlfriends and all the aunties are like, no, nah, get rid of them. They're horrible. I'm like, no, <laughs> on, give yeah, them a second. let's give them a second. Look we know this the big about fake boobs. And <laughs> yeah, like all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, because maybe in, maybe by taking the stance that I'm taking of thinking that diplomacy is the way forward, I am inherently devaluing the position that say my nan or my auntie hold by being extremely dismissive and being that very passionate energetic you know like they're the they're the activist kind of in that Mm. instance they're thinking very dominantly in one way whereas i'm trying to play that middle ground and i'm thinking that's where the progress is Okay, yeah. I mean, I guess it comes back to my comparative advantage idea of, like, that's where you're optimized and that's one of the positions on the spectrum. However, what about this? Try this on for size. If everyone was in your position... Wait, is that your is that your utopia? Is um, that what I'm getting at? No, I guess, I guess probably what I'm just getting at is... I get that we need all points along the spectrum and we can't actually say we had a spectrum that went from zero to 45 and then from 55 to 100. Yeah. That would actually be horrible. Like we do need this, um, this linking of hands, I think at all points along the way to Mm. ensure the message is translated. We need a conduit. Shout out. Um, to the future. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the future. <laughs> that should become a thing. We're going to bring shout outs back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there's actually some, like that's the concerns about current society is that we're trending towards that where there is no middle ground and we will just have only end up having polarized sides Mm. um i think that would be horrible so yeah but i guess what i'm getting at is you're you're probably saying it's the people at you know zero to five and 95 to 100 on the extreme ends of the spectrum Mm. and this would be a multi-dimensional spectrum for the record but Mm -hmm. yeah we'll keep it simple um it's those people that are actually contributing really really relevant ideas and information that can then be passed back towards you know 45 to 55 the middle ground yeah and then work done from say there yeah is that sort of the point you're getting at yeah that's kind of my model that uh, again the explorer bringing back and i don't know what this model is called but what i was thinking about on the mushroom journey the the explorer that goes deep into something and this could be one person on 
either end of the spectrum. The zero to five person and the 95 to 100 person going deep into their zone to find the new territory. The, the Peter Singer, the, the zero to five of the progressive left, let's put it that way. Zero to five is left, progressive, 95 to 100 is conservative, right-leaning um, of the political spectrum, obviously. The Peter Singer in the 70s going doing the exploring into the idea space of, hey, there's this, let's value animals as much as, not as much as we value people, but let's bring them up in value from where they currently are. And again, in the 70s, being a wildly controversial and unpopular idea, um, which now it just seems like, yeah, whatever, uh, second nature. So him, he's not the best example because he is also pretty diplomatic. Um, but that example of finding the extreme idea of your end of the spectrum and then feeding it up through the chain to find the middle um but then at the same time, like the other end of the the spectrum, the 95 to 100 is also like fighting the 0 to 5 as well. But yeah, you get the point. They're feeding up the spectrum. They're going to find the crazy extreme ideas. And sure, one out of 10 may hit, but those they go through the spectrum, the 20, the 25, all the way through the middle but maybe only like one out of 10 makes it through that culling process. Yeah, I, I think we're approaching understanding on this point. Um, I, and I would say I'm probably moving more towards your point. Um, I guess probably where I come from is I think we need, I don't want to say less Peter Singers, but I think we need more people who can then translate that message to different audiences. And Conduits. I, yeah, I think it, at this point we have kind of um, like the, I don't know how, what you'd term this, like the opposite of a bell curve is like, we actually have most people grouped to either end of the spectrum. We mostly mm. have activists in some kind of direction. And yeah. I'm not saying they are, that there isn't value there. But as you said, there is, it's like a one in 10 strike rate. Yeah. Say, yeah. so I think what we actually want is more people to move back towards the middle, have greater shared appreciation of both sides, and then still capture hmm. some of the value from the Peter Singers. Yeah. I think we're aligned on that. I, I still just think um, maybe the disagreement is in, I think the. The emotional argument make the idea that emotions in argument is useful makes sense, and then perhaps you still disagree with that. No, I, I agree. I agree. I think, um, yeah, emotions are an overwhelmingly powerful force in human psychology, and um, let's say the hyper hyper rational hyperlogical crowd who want to completely remove emotion from the argument i think they're actually just demonstrating um some kind of emotional disposition of their own in saying that mm. yeah like to to use the kind of um 
Jonathan Haidt, like Humean kind of, mm. yeah, reason is slave to the passions. Yeah, yeah. I, I think even the hyperlogical exemplify that. Yeah. Yeah. So you agree that, are you saying like you agree that it's not a good idea to like cleave that relationship, even if it were possible? Yeah, I, I guess just I don't think it is possible. No, and I definitely don't think it is. <laughs> yeah, like I guess what I'm getting at is being take me my striving towards rationality and um yeah increased implementation of logic in my life i still think is basically my emotional state like the motivation mm. for that is driven by um yeah pre-reasoning processes because it, it's coming back to like maybe perhaps cognitive style it's coming back to the reason why you're striving for rationality and um you know instilling logic into your thinking and decision making and behaviors is because it is your cognitive style meaning it's that's what you have an emotional affinity to like you were speaking about many months ago where you know people take on information differently yada yada shout out to yada yada shout out to sedge (laughs) pick up on that one sedge count it um yeah because because it is just feeding what emotionally feels good to you like it's not getting rid of emotion it's you don't seek rationality because you want to get rid of get rid of emotion you seek rationality or one seeks rationality this is a hypothesis. I don't know if it's true. One seeks rationality because it feeds their positive emotion. Yep. Yeah, I would say my very simple model for this is... Uh, have you seen those balls that like dogs try to get treats out of? Yeah. That they're like basically a ball, but there's sort of holes in them at various points. Mm. I think people's emotional dispositions basically represent that kind of system like you are guarded Same against more. most most things but there's a hole that allows information in that is um that emotionally meshes with you hmm. and basically my whole information income stream hmm. or like incoming stream of information um relates to say the value of rationality and logic because of my emotional state that opens the hole towards information from that direction. Analogy of the year goes to Linden. <laughs> I don't know if that was sarcastic. Or no, no, that was baller. <laughs> oh, sick. That was just like completely left the field that uh, brought it together. That was great. Oh, thank you. That's, um, well... Yeah, I guess I think this whole conversation has just exemplified a ton of implicit knowledge that we still hadn't yet shared. Like the more you expounded upon um, the, say, the two warring sides yeah. that pro- that create progress, hmm. the more I understood that there was it was more complex than, you know, activist A screaming against activist B and then yeah. getting actually mutually beneficial results C. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like sometimes you... And I'd like to actually get to your story, your Instagram story soon. Maybe this will link it there. Sometimes you uh, 
think, or maybe perhaps it's like a curse of knowledge sort of thread, but sometimes you think that you've explained something the way it is in your head or maybe like sometimes with us, maybe I, I think that you understand me more than you do and I just give you the bare minimum in verbal and I'm like, yeah, he, underst- he understands the, uh, the iceberg of implicit thought in that statement, but perhaps like sometimes you don't. Um, and, and in general, that's probably the case. But yeah, maybe that's like a link to what you put on your story, which was pretty good. Oh, thank you. Um, okay, so yeah, I agree with you though, for the record. Um, mm. And this is a mistake I see myself making all the time. Is And I think I see this a lot in other people, often when I'm, say, playing that diplomat role, is... Uh, I was speaking with a friend earlier this week um, and she was talking about how basically she had explained her side of the story to someone and they, this was a friend of hers and they still couldn't see her side. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of making the case that you were making. I was like, you've explained what you think or intuitively you've explained the bare minimum for what someone could um, reliably move to your position on this issue for but i was like this person isn't opposed to it but they probably just require a lot more information than what you're currently giving them mm. you've you've given them the 10 percent of the iceberg and you've still got the 90 percent implicitly stored away there definitely they need access to that 90 before they will see your your side of things yeah um so yeah i guess all i'm saying is i i agree um, and okay, so I put up a post on my Instagram story last night, um, as I guess I like to do, I try to link, um, something from the rationality, cognitive science, probability sphere to something that occurs in my everyday life, um, because I, I do want to show that they aren't sort of just abstract concepts, because what is it all for? Yeah. And as well as to... As well as to push back on the argument that... Yeah, that it has no relevance. Yeah. Like, it does have relevance. And the thing is... So, that's to critics of rationality. And to proponents of rationality, what I would say is, like, it should have relevance. Yeah. Like, there's... The criticisms are valid if you're not actually implementing it, I guess, yeah. is what I'm getting it at. It shouldn't be mental masturbation, but sometimes it is. Yeah, it shouldn't just be this topic that you can talk about, but it should be, again, a philosophy that you live. Hmm. Um, so, basically, the um, the post went along um, sort of this series of steps. I described there is a a fallacy known as the typical mind fallacy where you make the mistake of thinking that other people's minds function in a more similar way to yours than what they actually do. So it's sort of in part the presumption of common knowledge, Mm. but probably more so um, the presumption of common reasoning processes and incentives and yeah, aspirations and and things you appreciate about the world. Mm. Um, On the opposite end of that spectrum is the atypical mind fallacy where you think your mind is 
completely unique that you're the most special and um yeah individualized individual that exists so would a quick example of the first one the typical mind fallacy be traffic where you like why wouldn't you let me in because i would let someone else in yeah i think that's probably um a, a simple example yep um so what I was saying is I think I tend to make the typical mind fallacy quite a lot. Um, I I think there'd be some people who might hear that and you know, might criticize me for thinking that I'm unique or special. And I guess I do think that to some degree... Hmm. I th- I really do feel like I've spent my entire life saying I'm not special, you know, um, trying to be humble, trying mm. to say that like anything that I've achieved, say, could be mostly achieved by someone else or yeah. just I don't know how to condense all that information into a single, you know, statement. But yeah, I just think I'm quite, quite typical. Mm. That's probably my, my baseline. Um so, yeah, that that's one sort of component that I've tried to be more aware of recently because I think there's just... Um, the evidence is... Is surmounting a word? Surmounting is not... It's not quite the right word I'm looking is. for. It might be. Keep anyway, going, I'll Goog. The, basically, there's... I've been progressively accruing evidence, I think, that shows that I, I just misjudge what other people's incentives or reasoning processes are. Um, and I, I shared an example. Um, I was having a discussion with a colleague and she basically said, you know, people don't think like that, Lyndon. Like they're, they're much more basic or they're, they're less analytical in their analysis. Um, they sort of, they approach it in a kind of what you see is what you get. Mm. attitude whereas i'm always kind of like oh is what i'm seeing is that what's actually the case Mm. um and i tend to expect similar behavior from others Mm. so that's kind of what i'm getting at is again typical mind that's just an example sorry the point i'm getting to not that i have to apologize this is my podcast (laughs) as well as yours um is that I am probably a poor gift giver Hmm. because of that barrier. I I can't quite reason my way towards what makes a good gift Hmm. because I am, I'm so stuck inside expecting other people to think in similar ways to what I do. Yeah. So yeah, I'll leave it at that for the moment. Do you have thoughts, comments? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I think that's a perfect example is you, when giving gifts, and I I think this is quite a common phenomenon that you, you get gifts that you would want to be given yourself. Like I remember, for example, for myself, when I was really into the gym as a younger person, I brought one of my brothers <laughs> like a supplement for Christmas. <laughs> And he was just, he was not a very, like, person into fitness. (laughs) And that's just a primary. Oh, I would love a supplement for Christmas, so I'll get him one. And I, fuck, I think I even did it, like, two years ago when my sister moved away. 
like I bought her a book and like she she reads but she's not like a an avid reader <laughs> and I'm just like yeah I would love a book so why wouldn't she want a book <laughs> um, so I'm definitely still victim to some of these fallacies so mount means to overcome so it doesn't mean mountaining evidence yeah that's that um, makes sense but I don't I don't know if this is a an example or a parallel experience but when I'm speaking to people um, sometimes I'll put a filter on because I like make this maybe false assumption that they won't be interested in the things I'm interested in. Um, yeah, I don't know if that falls into either of the categories. Um, I'm not sure. But yeah, I would say for myself, I'm probably just really wary of the sort of atypical mind fallacy of like, yeah, again, like yourself, I I want to have a an understanding and put it explicitly that, you know, I don't think I'm special in some special sense. Obviously, we all have our own idiosyncrasies and, um, you know, maybe somewhat atypical behaviours. Um, but again, I think biases are pretty across the board and like your point it it comes back to like reasoning power is where the fallacy lies um yeah yeah i think um sorry touch on two points quickly the point that i want to highlight about the gift giving thing is yes we tend to give gifts that we would enjoy receiving but I think the more important thing for me was coming to the realization was that I wasn't giving gifts that I wouldn't enjoy receiving. Yeah. So it was, there's so many things that are within my budget um, and are locally available to me that would make people that I care about very, very happy, but because they do not appeal to me, I don't give them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the sort of, that's the contrapositive of, um, you know, giving gifts that you enjoy receiving, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, that's the more important thing, the more, more important realization for me to come to was. Um, the other thing I would say is, I, I think we probably both, however much I miss the mark, I think you miss it by less and you, I don't know which side you would actually fall into, um, whether you atypical or typical mind fallacy. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I think we both have been nudged towards typical mind fallacy Hmm. due to um, our endeavors to battle the ego. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds really accurate. Like, did you want to say more? Well, I was just, just going to say, I think we both um, probably subscribe to the idea that, yeah, we are special like every other single member mm. of human society. Yeah. Like every other human that's ever existed, they were an individual too. So it says nothing about you really. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting like evolution, especially with the uh, the journey of this podcast because I feel like... Perhaps at the start, I was falling into that little bit more uh, atypical fallacy. And I think that came out in the way I spoke a lot. And it's something I picked up on. 
And I don't know if I actually felt it or uh, it was just me not being as cautious in the way I was speaking. But, or maybe it's me just being hypercritical. But I really did feel that a lot of the time I was creating this like separation between like me and everyone else. Um, and it and it is just this fear of, again, like well, a fear of putting myself on a, up on a pedestal and a, an endeavor of minimizing the ego as much as I sort of can. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, did you have a question before? I can't remember. You said something that now slipped my mind. Um, no, I don't think so. Maybe that's something I wanted to comment on. Anyway. Um, um, I was just going to touch on also, because another point you spoke about, which I think is good, was the love languages. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it is along a, a similar tangent. That, so there's a couple of different parts. There's like perspective taking, love languages, and then these fallacies. And that's, I don't know, some sort of crude triad for a, this a model of this train of thought I I suppose Um, but that is an interesting point to touch on about like how you're just having an understand gaining an understanding about how you receive uh, I don't know I want to I want to use the term like how you gain a witness or how you receive a witness because I don't know if it's love but like maybe just coming back to this uh maybe foundational belief or thought that like we all just want to witness. Can you explain what you mean by a witness, please? Um, you know, there's, there is the, I guess, I don't know, dogma idea phenomenon that we're social beings or fact, let's put it that way. Um, uh, but yeah, I think it may be a, a simplification of that is or maybe a simplification of like status seeking or signaling or something along those lines is just everyone just wants a witness, someone to people or someone to see them. Um, You know, that's why I'm sort of hesitant to use love in this example. Like maybe it's not the way you receive love, but maybe it's the way that you feel that someone is seeing you or the way that you see someone else in sort of a mindfulness esoteric way there's a lot of words to go about it but i'm clearly like thinking on the edge of my limits here no that's okay so trying to figure out on the go is part of what you're saying um or maybe the crux of what you're saying when the kind of witness that you desire is it someone that sees you something approximating exactly how you are. So again, it doesn't have to be the romantic partner, but I think you see, say like through me Hmm. to a very significant extent and Hmm. see me. I would consider you a witness because how I think you see me is how I think I am. Yeah. Very closely. I think there's, yes, I think that and maybe the other piece is gratitude um, or like appreciate. Like I see you, 
I appreciate you. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be love or maybe that is love. Who knows? Let's put that to the side. But it's just, I see you. I appreciate you for what you are. Um, and this is the way I'm going to show it. And that's my love language. And for the recipient, uh, maybe it's the thinking around, how do I know that someone sees me? How do I know that someone uh, is appreciating me or is my witness? Mm. I, th- I think I'm understanding. I think I'm understanding. But yeah, anyway, the love languages, all I was getting at, gain an understanding of how you receive love, how you best receive love and how you best like to show it and that that's probably different for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think that's that's why it was interesting for me was because it it provided practical, pragmatic, instrumental value. Like, again, imperfect, but as I was saying to you before, the quote that came to mind is that all models are wrong, some models are useful, hmm. which is a, a sort of a common saying in um, statistical circles. Like, evolution, we've probably beat that model into really, really close to reality kind of shape, but mm. it it's an abstraction still and it would yeah. definitely leave details on the table. Um, but the thing is, it's it's a really, really useful model because we can make all kinds of scientific predictions that are verifiable because of it. Um, and in a similar kind of romantic sense, there's human beings are infinitely multidimensional yet it's still a useful model to ensure that you're say transmitting more affection than what you probably would otherwise if you weren't using the love languages model Hmm. yeah um yeah i think that's that's roughly what i was going to say i had another thought but it slipped my mind so yeah i think a, a cool part of it for me was like the translation that and yeah i know we spoke about language a bit but something we spoke about there was you know words sort of holding different meanings for different people um and i forget exactly what you wrote about translation do you remember what you wrote about translation um so i think i said something like the love languages framework is it attempts to reduce the difficulty of translation, which is fundamentally what communication hinges upon. Mm. Because, yeah, like, like let's use the words example. A word that I'm saying to you is an intermediary. Yeah, It's I have a concept in my mind. There's a word that I use to represent that concept. You hear the word and then it um, stimulates some kind of concept in your own mind. Yeah, yeah, baller. And it's the the better our translation of that word, Mm. the better our communication is. Yeah, that was so good. Because I I think uh, the cool part is like using the word translation in a different way, ironically, uh, or in a more flexible or maybe in a more literal way and surprise surprise (laughs) yeah um and that it's yeah like you said uh you're there's got to be some 
some mechanism to get what's in here, my head, mind, whatever, into yours, and that we need to try and uh, figure out how best to do that. And even though we may be speaking the same English language, there's a lot of, yeah, as we've spoken about, like different different ways it can be interpreted, um, different meanings the words can have. Um, and the, the quote that came up before, again, was the Popper quote. I think it was Popper, that no statement can't be misinterpreted. Yeah, no, I, I think you've... Um, you've hit the nail on the head there. And probably, I think this is like, like just to be completely egotistical for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is one of the natural strengths that I have is interpreting things entirely literally. Or not entirely literally, sorry, I shouldn't say. Um, and it's obviously a weakness in many areas. Mm. But the word translation to me, I don't immediately think, oh, one language to another. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, as you said, it's the very literal sense of it's sort of one message, message yeah. A into message B. Yeah. Um, or permutation A into permutation B. Um, and yeah, I think we often talk about misinterpretations and miscommunications and they all sort of focus around the topic of mistranslation in Mm. my mind. Um, So, yeah, I think I've definitely reflected on um, probably like romantic instances for sure in regards to the love languages framework. And I remember many times doing things where I sort of thought, oh, wow, I thought that was really gesturesome. And hmm. it was almost like not acknowledged by the other person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I've, I've obviously missed many things, probably coming back the other direction, things that were done for me. And I was just oblivious to them. Um, a ton of false positives and false negatives yeah. is... Um, yeah, probably the way I'd explain it. But um, yeah, I, I think just looping back with the sort of typical mind fallacy um, in mind, I then tried to tack onto this idea of love languages and going, okay, people don't think always don't always think in similar ways to myself. There are tons of things they value and appreciate that I don't. And if I care about these people, I want to learn to connect with them and demonstrate my love and appreciation, even if it's not in ways that I would typically enjoy receiving it. Hmm. So to, to round out the story, that all came to um, a head just as I was, I was walking past the display flowers um, at the shops and, as I said in my post, I think I've bought flowers <laughs> no more than two or three times. Mm. Um, like, and I've had number of birthdays, anniversaries, Christmases, special occasions, Mother's Days, Mother's <laughs> Days, yeah, like twenty-eight of them. And I'm very, very fortunate in this regard because, uh, like, my sister, for example, will always organise yeah. presents for mum, nan, dad you know, on behalf of both of us and I haven't had to lift a finger. Shout out to Organised Sisters. We've both got one and they're... My sister's the exact same. She's always the one to be like, all right, what are we doing for this person's birthday? Yada, yada. Great. 
I'm going to abstract that a little bit. Hopefully this isn't sexist, but shout out to women who make yeah. men look really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you guys are the, I don't know, the real heroes. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, the whole, the, matri- <laughs> the the patriarchy is held up by just this undercover <laughs> matriarchy <laughs> and it's crazy. <laughs> See that? Oh, that's a, that is exactly the type of comedy that Mark Norman does. He takes the reality. <laughs> I'm, I'm bullish on him. You've got to watch him. Okay, send send. I will promise to listeners that I will. He, have he basically some. has a bit that is exactly that. It's like putting women up on the pedestal, but taking something that they're usually bashed on for, flipping it into a positive and making it funny. And there's this massive truth in it. You'll fucking love it. Anyway. Well, I didn't do any of that. But yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what you did. It's all math, the, the, the structure of the statement. But yeah, go on. Um, yeah, so um, as I said, haven't haven't bought flowers like barely ever. Um, but it, it was just really very serendipitous how it all sort of came about. Um, I... Yeah, had had the love languages conversation. I'd been reflecting on how much I succumbed to um, the typical mind fallacy and I wanted to fix it. And just early that day, I just, for some reason, I never checked my bank account, but I had checked my bank account and Mm. was kind of like, oh, um, I've got... I'm bowling. (laughs) Yeah, just kind of like um, a decent amount of spending money because... I never spend my spending money. Yeah. <laughs> like once my savings, my bills are taken care of, it sort of just accumulates until I then go buy a hundred dollars books like I did today. <laughs> That's your love language. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, sort of all these things were just floating around my brain. And as I looked at the flowers, I was like looking $25, $35, 45 I was like, what the hell? Like who, what? Like I, I was yeah. just already doing the yeah. reasoning that I would typically go through of like, who would value this? Yeah. Like who would appreciate that? There's no way that's worth $25 or I could derive $25 worth of value from that. Um, but so yeah, the person I had in mind, I was just like, I'll give it to mum because even with the amount that I, I speak about mum and the amount of appreciation that I probably project, especially mm. on this podcast and conversations with you. Mm. I'm horrible at showing it to mum. Yeah, no surprise there. Um, yeah. I, I love love in the abstract. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, I knew mum was working um, a late shift because I had to feed the dogs that night. And I just thought, she'll get home at midnight or whatever time it'll be. And wouldn't it be, I think it would be nice for her Mm. if there was a flower sitting on the bench from me. Mm. Um, So I like, yeah, grabbed one of the flowers and lo and behold, she messaged this morning and was just like, it was so amazing. Like I'm Mm. presuming you had to do, had something to do with the flower. Um, Apparently it was a Singapore baby, baby Singapore orchid. Or something like that. Nice. Um, she loved it. She she literally said, like, it made me feel so warm and fuzzy when I got home. Um, so, yeah. I think I succeeded there. And the point that I kind of want to tie that all up with is... One, I don't think we should be... We shouldn't 
socially signal too strongly using our errors and flaws. Um, for example, it's kind of quote-unquote cool in the the nerd sort of sphere to be like, oh, I don't get social conventions. I don't understand socialization. I, you know, I don't get people. Hmm. Um, and I've no doubt succumbed to that many times in the past, but yeah, it's, it just comes back to this idea that I often speak about and I don't quite know the right way to describe it. Like that saying I don't get people is the excuse. It's like yeah. the only thing better than having the excuse is just getting people. Yeah. Like just understanding them and being better at it. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to be careful of that. And the other thing sort of relates to that is if you're going, people take a lot of pride in accumulating this um, taxonomy of biases mm. and reasoning flaws. Mm -hmm. Knowing about the typical mind fallacy or confirmation bias or any other number of these biases is only useful if then you are wary enough of that pattern that you can observe it in your own behavior and then make hmm. um, the requisite counter force movements in hmm. order to sort of overcome it. Yeah. 1000%. It's, you know, it's in very general sense or simple sense. You are learning about these things that are then described as, uh, you're consistently leaving your putts short or you're, con yeah. you're consistently hooking to the right mm. and then implementing techniques so that you don't leave your putts so short or you mm. don't hook as much on your drives. Mm. Do you want to pause that? i got to piss like a pregnant woman. But while you're unlocking it, what I was going to say was the flower is not a flower. It's a... It's a maybe an abstraction or it's a representation it's an of your feeling. Yeah, it's just yeah, an intermediary, hundred um, percent. And that's that's the translation. The flower is the the intermediary in the translation of getting across that message of what's in you to what you want to be in her. Yep. <laughs> that, <laughs> we'll leave well, it. We'll that. leave it that for now. <laughs> just. And we're back from a short bathroom break. Thank you for staying with us. IQ's back up where they belong at 44. <laughs> back to baseline. <laughs> uh, I've got no, nothing to follow up there. Um, yeah, so we will round out this conversation with a bit of bullish and bearish. Was that what yeah. you said? Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know, maybe... Because I don't think you've caught up on what you're reading. Um, if that's of any interest, if you want to expound on that. Mm. Anything interesting to add there? Uh, what am I reading? Um... So, I'm trying to dive back into some sort of spirituality hmm. uh, kind of things of late. Um, so, I, I've never quite grown to appreciate Alan Watts. Um, hmm. He's kind of just seemed like a... A voice in techno songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, just like someone who's a, a little bit of applause lighty, um, you know, yeah, says yeah. these very mystical spiritual sounding things that just really don't mean anything. Mm. Um, but I would like to, I bought a few Alan Watts books. Um, so I'm going to read those and just try and 
filter sort of you know the gold from the rest of the the rest of what is in there yeah um but sort of yeah i'm working towards that but i'm revisiting um waking up by sam harris mm. currently still reading super intelligence um mm. just finished fundamentals um which was on physics um mm. which is pretty cool and still plugging my way through the way of kings so yeah mm. not much has changed there um but yeah, looking forward to... I've got a few interesting books sort of lined up to cover next. Um, like Six Easy Pieces by Feynman. Mm. Um, I think it's just a jet. Yeah, just... I think uh, Alan Watts was perhaps the OG in the sort of... the. I think he was the OG East to West conduit. 100%. Like that's that's what he's known for as being the... <laughs> the greatest western popularizer of yeah. eastern philosophy because i think like in the timeline i think he was before ramdas richard alpert yeah no i think that's um i'm pretty sure and alan watts like so he has a he has a doctorate in i think it's divinity so he has a, a master's in, I think, theology and a doctorate in divinity. <laughs> um, so apparently you can go one step more esoteric than theology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess, yeah, what the point I'm probably making there is he has some kind of academic yeah. structured ideas behind his thinking. Yeah. Whereas yeah, Ram Dass was a little more... Hmm. Freewheeling, let's say. Probably the acid that did that. Yeah. Um, Known to. Yeah. I. Yeah, it's pretty cool about Alan Watts that he has so much of his talks are on YouTube. Um, like many, many hours of his talks are on YouTube. Um, and what really like appeals to me about him is that aspect. Because I remember when I was on retreat, like the thing that it was kind of hard to completely get into the i forget what they were called they're, they're essentially like soliloquies or not lectures but yeah the the talks that the monks would give it was kind of hard to really get into those because of that like veil of pseudo spirituality that was on top of it all um yeah because i know that there were a lot of contradictions with say just like a real a realist a scientific realism um, view of the world. Uh, and that's where I, I feel like Alan Watts is kind of, again, like that sort of that OG Sam Harris um, voice that really merges them really well and makes sure, I think at least, makes sure he really doesn't speak outside of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to... um to read some of his stuff and try like approach it with an attempt to be more open-minded rather than dismissive. Hmm. Um, yeah. Very, very intriguing ideas for me personally and, and still very much do relate to my interest in, in rationality and those kinds of things. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I'm reading. What are you reading? Um, yeah. Like I said, crime and, punishment sort of slowly working through that which is again yeah obviously phenomenal um uh what else like i've sort of been going back through 
an intro to political philosophy by, I think it was maybe Jonathan Wolf or something to that effect is his name, doesn't matter too much. Um, but it's really good. Like, I really love these intro to political philosophy books. One, super interested in political philosophy. Two, uh, they just take, they distill each great enlightenment thinker into a chapter and not only like present their uh, their contribution to the Western canon law or their contribution to thought, but they also like criticize it and um, talk about like both sides of the argument uh, in a really good way. Um, so yeah, I kind of started reading the chapter on liberty just due to everything that's going on in the world, um, just to get uh, a little bit more um, valid weight in my thinking around liberty. Um, you know, reading like what what Mill actually really thought about it and people like that. Um, but yeah, it's I'm massive on those books, the intro to political philosophy books, because... And again, going back to a conversation that I had with someone recently about, you know, just reading the classics versus like reading these sort of newer nonfiction books. I feel like that is an area where I very much prefer to just read the new nonfiction. In- instead of reading Hume, Mill, Kant, Jeremy Bentham, um, all these people, their 500-page books um, presenting kind of one idea from 88 different angles, like just reading one political philosophy book that kind of encapsulates it all, all of their thinking and and the um, like the current up-to-date stance on it as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of those books. I was just thinking there, do you th- like the process I was going through in my head is, is there an intro to X book that I wouldn't read? Um, yeah, it's kind of the uh, Tyler Cowan-esque line of thinking that uh, if you... So to take a step back, like if you want to be a, a clear thinker, have a broad... Uh, have a broad scope of knowledge um, in order to the best way to go about that because obviously there's almost an infinite amount of knowledge on lots of these topics you need some sort of introduction so he says to just find the best introductory book on x and start there uh i'm pretty sure that's what he says yeah he could do that sounds sort of you know within within the realms of cow and speak <laughs> um how much isn't yeah, I don't know. Like two two examples that came to mind, like sort of silly and one of them's graphic. Um <laughs> like was say like an intro to accounting. I was like, yeah, but like mm. I should probably read that. It doesn't interest me, but yeah. Um yeah, there's nothing about that where I would be like, no, I wouldn't read that. And then the other was something like intro to rape as a philosophy. Like to, or like trying to promote, say, the okayness of rape. Mm. Yeah. Um. And I would, not saying I'd be swayed by those ideas, but mm. gaining that introductory 
understanding of where those ideas comes from still seems useful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I guess ultimately I think I'm I'm going to go bullish on intro books. Well, it's well it's kind of just like the Wikipedia page really. Yeah, okay, so I'm recapitulating. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I think that's probably the easiest way I would say for things that are extremely um not in your awareness at all mm. outside of your awareness uh the wikipedia page is probably the quickest path and easiest path to that um i was gonna say something lost it yeah no i lost it yeah it's fair enough if it's yeah if you can't can't academy it get on wikipedia yeah can't academy so good Sal Khan, such a baller, like such a pioneer. Yep. Um, and obviously now worth insane amounts. Yeah, that's in, that's altruistic innovation right there. Yes, like figured out a problem, solved it, just providing like immense value to. It's the quote: "If you want to make millions of dollars, affect millions of lives," and he just embodies that so perfectly. And again, like what we are so bullish on or just what we love so much is altruistic innovation drives progress forward um highlighting the positives of technology and progress uh and that's just the perfect example like it's just made millions of lives so much easier at almost no cost to the person well no cost gives out free content um and and then you have people probably just bullshitting on people that are millionaires but it's like well you know he's just he's made the world a better place immensely yeah that like it is staggering to think the amount of people that he has influenced like uh, i think i was having a conversation about this in uni one time amongst my classmates um and it was one of the <laughs> so one of the more difficult exercise physiology, it may have even been exercise bio or nutritional biochemistry. I can't yeah. remember. It was one of the more biochemistry sort of related subjects. Yeah. And I think, you know, there was a group of us who were talking about, we all ended up basically on the, the Khan Academy page for or YouTube um, yeah. and just went through the, you know, the process of glycolysis and the Krebs yeah. cycle and all that kind of stuff. You know, we'd paid however many thousands of dollars to go to university and still had Khan, you know, Doing the Khan Academy teaching. teaching us. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just like a single class. And I was like, one, yeah. one class, just there was a whole court cohort of students yeah. that all basically passed this exam because of Khan Academy content. Mm. And I was like, there would be all the universities in Melbourne within Australia would probably be having a very similar process. 100%. Then around the world. And then you've yeah. got, he, there's content even beyond just biochemistry. Yeah. You know, take, take calculus. You've yeah. got linear algebra, all kinds of subjects. And just that, the compounding and just the amount of people influenced, again, is staggering. Yeah. He uh, hands down got me through chemistry. I would have... 100% failed had it not been for Khan Academy because um, I didn't even do like year 11 maths I like dropped out of conventional school in year 10 and then did that um, diploma thing 
and then went into university and went into chemistry not chemistry as a major or whatever but that was part of the nutrition that i was doing at the time and chemistry was just oh, like extremely overwhelming and it seemed like a completely different language and um yeah i w- would have 100 percent failed if i hadn't and i ended up getting hd so shout out to khan subtle brag yeah <laughs> but only because because it's one of those brags you're okay about making because it means nothing to you and it's yeah. not a real brag because like what have i retained of it and what is what has come of it <laughs> so it's like um you know i don't know someone bragging about being like school captain in year 10 or oh, i still do 12. that <laughs> yeah. i was house captain in year 11 before i was even supposed to be <laughs> pipping year 12s <laughs> at the post <laughs> subtle brag um okay so all right i'm bullish on here's one getting like setting the stage for it getting more exposure to uh again things that are completely out of our normal day interactions like the scott alexander essay um i forget which one it's from maybe the art group yeah it's the art group yeah from the act again ball essay uh from that just highlighting the 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 problem that there are so many things and so many people that we just never come across and that can create this kind of silo and um yeah ultimately not a great outcome for becoming a well-rounded understanding individual so that with the stage i've been listening to a podcast girls gotta eat lately mm-hmm. you might have heard about it uh it's super popular in the U- united states but it basically these two women probably in their mid-30s i would say um very banterous they're like comedians but it's it, it's like their demographic is i guess uh you know young 20 year old women the reason why i thought it might be a good idea to listen to it is because yeah i probably other than a couple of colleagues and that's barely interactions just interact with like no women that are older than me almost zero (laughs) which is kind of a problem not it doesn't pose like immediate risks or anything but i'm just saying that there is a lot out there that i'm not aware of and i thought it would be a good idea to like gain an understanding of i guess like how they how those people think they talk a lot about dating and love and shit like that as well which is kind of insightful um but yeah i've i think i'm bullish on that this week like it's pretty entertaining as well but mainly for the reason of just listening in and gaining an understanding of like someone that's worlds apart from me um in that sort of scott alexander way uh that that i would just never hear from and never understand their worldview otherwise um yeah so that's my bullish yeah you don't have to sell me on that i think that's the point i've been trying to bang home for like the last two weeks (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly right i need my randomness vehicle yeah um but yeah to to possibly clarify slightly on the Scott Alexander point. Mm. Um, there's the essay. I can tolerate anything except the art group. And basically Scott does the calculations on like he lives. He is a progressive, like politically progressive yet lives in a predominantly conservative state um, where um, the predominance of people believe in say, you know, 
the resurrection of Jesus, um, you know, earth was created in seven days, those kind of, um, you know, literal or like Christian fundamentalists say. Um, and he did the calculations on the numbers and it's like one in a staggering number that, and he was sa- sorry, he was saying that he doesn't know any of these people mm. in like individually or personally, sorry. Um, and yet they are apparently out there and he does the calculations on the chance of that happening just through sheer luck. Yeah. And he's just like, it, it, it's incredibly staggering. And the point he's getting at is we do get stuck in our echo chambers, like really, really stuck in them. Mm. And we pass these people like ships in the night. And the reference he makes mm. is it's kind of like dark matter. Mm. It's like, it's out there but we have no ability to interact with it. So dark matter is just this. Um, It's, uh, there's basically, I think, um, and again, I'm on the edge of my knowledge here. Basically, there's a fairly significant amount of gravity. Like there's, there's gravitational forces that we can detect, but not, um, basically pinpoint the matter that it is coming from or like where where it's coming from um and i think we basically um pin that on dark matter like there's matter out there causing gravitational forces that we just can't see find measure locate Mm. and that's sort of referred to as dark matter in physics again not maribor expertise Mm. um and yeah there's basically dark matter people all around us Mm like influencing the world that we live in. Yeah. But we just have no ability to find or locate them or even imagine what they'd be like. Yeah. Because we are so stuck in our in our echo chambers. And again, that's that's been very front of mind for me with the whole typical mind fallacy. Hmm. Like I, I can't even imagine what some of these people think or do. Hmm. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's especially interesting because because of the amount of influence that in this example specifically that they have on like the current generation of young women. Um, like I think they're probably like one of the biggest podcasts for that demographic. Um, Bigger than Call Her Daddy? I don't think so. I think okay. that's probably the biggest. I haven't listened to that yet. <laughs> I was yeah, I've been consi- no, I haven't, but I was, I had it recommended to me. So really. Mm. By a girl, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is that, I imagine it's probably similar vibes, like banterous about dating sort of. I've got no shit. idea, but. I might give it a listen on the way home. Apparently in one episode, maybe it teaches you how to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. Um, but yeah, just shit like that. Like to get an idea of. So like it might be a good parallel would be say like a Jordan Peterson is a very influential voice on the current generation of men that are 20 to 35. Uh, And, you know, I, like we were sort of speaking about, we wanted to find the leftist, the leftist example of that. But to use again, Jordan Peterson in this sense, we, or I was interested to find the female perspective on that not that he's like hard down the line male 
um, and he obviously speaks about femininity and is pretty bullish on femininity or he's at least he's not bearish on it he's not against it he's very much like we've spoken about there's a yin and a yang which he speaks to yeah like even say if he gets the objective um, components of the female lifestyle right he can't speak to the subjective components of the yeah. female lifestyle so yeah on you know a two-dimensional or a, what is it when you call it a what's those axis to, yeah not an axis um like a two by two grid sort oh, of thing yeah. it's yeah. like you know he can get most of it but not all of it yeah 100 so you still need a differing viewpoint or an, an alternative complementary viewpoint yeah like he may have a good outsider perspective from just his analytical mind and his experience as a clinician and his reading, writing, thinking, etc. But you still need that insider perspective to really gain the whole picture. Um, and yeah, I've just been interested to try and find out like what is the the influential voice that is currently changing the shape or the zeitgeist or the thinking for young women out there just to, I don't know, whatever, gain a better understanding. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, I guess my bullish. It's cool. I like that. Um, please share if you come across anything of interest. Yeah. They had an episode on OnlyFans, which I listened to. Um, oh, another one again. Sorry. Esther Perel. I know I've spoken about it. Mm. I don't know if I've spoken about it on the pod. Yeah. You mentioned her, mentioned her, but they had an episode with her, but obviously she's just phenomenal in her own right. Like a genuine polymath like she speaks six languages i think something like that um and just one of those really she's the thomas soul of interaction i would say uh takes like we're speaking about before takes the common wisdom flips it and finds the insight that clicks and makes sense all along to um gives names and phrases and words to ideas that you've all felt before um so yeah esther perel for sure jump on her yeah i need to listen to more esther perel um have i gone i feel like i've been bullish and bearish on a ton of things you've had a couple of things but um no i don't know did you have one prepared um the one that's on top of mind now is i am bullish on the movie hitch oh interesting (laughs) it's so good i watched it (laughs) Watched it sometime this week and it just, it speaks to so much of me, I think. Um, (laughs) Which part? There's tons of it, but like there's so many, yeah, so many scenes where um, like they're at the speed dating thing when um, Hitch (laughs) has just been unveiled, basically. I think it's there. Um, No, sorry. It's when he's um, speaking with Allegra Cole and yeah. trying to get Kevin James's character mm. back in with her. Mm. And he's just like, my whole job is just to get you to notice great guys like yeah. him. And she's just like, I'd have noticed him. And he's like, would you though? Mm. And she's like, eventually, maybe. Mm. Mm. And it's just like, ah, oh, that speaks to me. Like it's so, mm. I don't know. You I just that. feel that. I yeah, think. I see that. Um, and then I love the end bit when, cause he sort of, he starts off talking about like the basic principles of 
you know, getting a woman to notice you and mm. oh, like the things they say, just like, you know, I'm really just into my career at the moment mm. is kind of like try harder, stupid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but then at the end, he just like looks at the camera and he's like, basic principles. There are none. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yep, I feel that too. <laughs> Been looking for this principled approach all along. <laughs> and it's a myth. It's a mirage. But I don't know. Yeah. Not, I feel like we always somewhat circle back to talking about dating and romance. And it's, I think it's something I always think about to some degree, but it's not a massive, not something that occupies tons of time in my um, mental landscape. But I'm not sure if that's true either, because I also think so much of life circles back to that. Yeah. Like, like there's a couple of things there. Like, one thing maybe it's because maybe it's because it's where a lot of these ideas play out with some, uh, fuck, what are they called? Consequences. Yeah. Some skin in the game. Yeah. The, and again, coming back to the emotional valence, like this is where you really feel your identity tested and this is where you really feel your your map of the world challenged and this is where you really feel, you know, how your language affects things. Because like, uh, and again, Esther Perel, like she talked about it, sort of uh, the difference between um, like a best friend love and a... Um, an intimate partner love. And I know that was sort of an idea that I was toying with the other week. Um, but it it is largely, I think she was kind of putting it down to like some sort of attachment theory um, uh, due to that, that like attachment theory doesn't, or attachment doesn't come into friendships as emotionally as it does into relationships. Um, and yeah, so I think... The reason why a lot of the time it comes back to like relationship speak is because, again, like that's where there is a lot of all these all these abstract ideas really come to life there. Like we can talk about ideas a lot together and interact a lot and it kind of doesn't, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to be super emotional for either of us. But yeah, I guess with a partner or with, you know, a potential romantic person there is a lot that can occur and obviously the the evolutionary psychology sex uh whatever piece of the puzzle really influences it i think um but yeah that's my thoughts on that yeah no i would agree and i think i could even just throw in like we often reference work and that's kind of a similar similar thing it's like yeah speaking about romance speaking about work um, these are domains where there's some hard and fast consequences or implications that are revealed from our from our actions. So yeah, and and so that's kind of the only way that they're really uh, they're really tested. Yeah, it's like again, like falsifiability. Yeah, exactly right. Like we we can talk in the abstract on this, but we're not in the relationship and at work, we're really testing our models of the world and we're really testing our models of how to communicate and different love languages and all the things we speak about, they're getting put to the test in these actual domains of life. 
and that's why they're like interesting to speak about and that's why um we come back to them it's because that's where they're real yeah that's good thanks i think you did most of that (laughs) (laughs) um there was maybe one more thing but i don't i think i lost it no i think i lost it all right well thanks for listening everyone Mm, thank you it's been a pleasure oh yeah perfect time yeah all right macker i'll ring you back in (laughs) like two minutes um sorry listeners (laughs) Thank you, everyone. We hope you enjoy the rest of your Monday or whenever you choose to listen to this. Mm. Hopefully, there hasn't been any audio issues this time. Oh, I've got a joke I want to finish on. Oh, yeah, perfect. Do you want to say any closing? Um, no, again, I thought I had something, but I think I don't think it's going to come to me. Um, but yeah, again, just thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you're getting through lockdown okay. Oh, it's been challenging. I had a really challenging day this week. Um, and yeah, it's just been interesting how it ebbs and flows like that. Yeah, no, it really does. Um, I actually just reflected on that point this week because I, I had some challenging days as well. And I thought to myself, and this is again, the only kind of thought that you have once you're actually thinking better and feeling good. And that's mm. the whole difficulty in pulling yourself out of a, a darker space. But I did just kind of put myself to the question, put the question to myself, sorry, of like, why can't I enjoy life the way mm. it currently is? Mm. Mm. Like sort of that what is wrong with the current moment, yeah. but just expanding that of like, what, what is it about life at the moment that is structured in a way that I cannot enjoy it? Was it reflecting on that one day or was that more of a larger just a larger thing just sort of like the whole waiting for lockdown to end Hmm. i was like why why can't i enjoy it yeah yeah i know it's frustrating don't get me wrong and i'm not trivializing it but i was i was just putting the question to myself what came out of that um well i like that to go back to um naval he was the one who pushed this onto my radar he speaks about sort of one of the concepts in Buddhism about how desire is making an agreement to be miserable until you get what you want. Mm. Fucking so good. And I think there's a lot of desiring for lockdown to end. Mm. And I was sort of using that as a, well, hang on. Why do I have to be miserable until Mm. lockdown ends? Yeah. And I get, I guess that it's, you know, it's not an easy answer to, to find but i think it's worth looking for like if you can sort of find a reason to enjoy how things currently are yeah um yeah nothing to add there actually all right so the joke was um and it's only related because we're it's talking about cats with someone this week and <laughs> um the joke goes uh, cat and dog die and go to heaven they sort of you know land at the pearly gates and and walk up to God and the dog being enthusiastic and energetic as it is, it it struts right up to God and God looks the dog up and down and pleased with what he sees. He goes, you've been man's best friend for all these years. You come sit here, sit at my right hand side. And the dog, you know, enthusiastic, jumps up, plonks itself right next to God um, at his right hand. 
And God turns back to the cat and the cat goes, I think you're in my seat. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you're laughing at me telling the joke rather than the joke itself. No, but it's... (laughs) No, I'm laughing... The joke just took a second to hit, (laughs) but I was also laughing at you earlier. (laughs) Just in like, is it supposed to be told in that manner? No, I I don't. I think there's a different delivery to it, but I I just meant like the tone because it sounds like you're um, doing an acknowledgement to country where you're just like getting it over with before the real content starts. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So I've completely butchered (laughs) the punchline, but the point is (laughs) cats... Cats just think everything belongs to them. That's yeah. You get the punchline. No one needs to explain yeah, it to them. Yeah. Sorry, I fucked it. I've been thinking about getting a cat, but I'm not sure about it. Um, only you can answer that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you again, listeners. We'll Thanks for listening. Enjoy your day. We'll speak to you next week.